This past week has been a very uh, difficult one for Emma and our family. Uh, she is battling an infection right now and doing some better, but she just wasn't as responsive this week. And that makes it very difficult for us, just physically and emotionally, but she's doing better. One of the things that I've said to many people, and I really believe, is this. While our circumstance may be unique because of the rarity of what happened to Emma, every one of us in here suffer. All of us do. All of us know the trials of life. Those circumstances may be in different forms, different ways. But we all know what it is to experience difficulty. This week I thought about our church family. Just in the last seven days since we last met, some of the things that have happened within this congregation. We have a member and his family going through the grief as his mother passed away and he and his children are grieving. Members of our congregation have experienced hospitalization, some for the second time. Others undergoing chemotherapy, fighting against cancer. Member of our church family, their extended family had to make the decision in coordination with the loved one about coming home from the hospital under hospice care because the condition looks terminal. You realize that's what we know about. What's going on in our lives that we don't know? What financial stress are we bearing? Marriage problems. I know it's hard to believe, but I know there are families undergoing stress because school is about to start. The list could go on and on and on. These things are heavy. They're weighty. And it's reminded me of more than anything, you and I need the light. Because these things would bring a darkness into our lives that would weigh us down and overwhelm us. We need the light. These circumstances are more than you and I can bear in our own strength. And the only thing that would keep you and I from falling into discouragement and despair and giving up on life is the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why we cling to this. That's why we look at the words of Jesus and we recognize this is not theoretical theology. When Jesus makes this proclamation that I am the light of the world, He is saying that the darkness you and I experience, whether it be due to circumstances, whether it be due to trials, whether it's temptation, that darkness can be expelled and repelled by the light of Jesus Christ. So we need to be centered upon who He is. This image, this metaphor of light is one that comes very natural just as the metaphor of darkness is. It's almost as if we don't need to explain what is meant. Light suggests and means hope, deliverance, salvation. Light reminds us that the victory is ours because the darkness that we fear and experience will never overcome the light. 
John wanted us to remember that from the very beginning of his gospel. When in verse 5 he says, The light has come into the world, but the darkness could not overcome the light. That's why when Jesus makes this proclamation, he is giving us a promise that we need to cling to daily so that we do not fall in to discouragement. Now the statement that Jesus makes in verse 12 when he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life is a statement that calls great debate. Not about its meaning. You'll notice that the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they never dive in to Jesus about what this means. They know what it means. No, their question becomes, how can you make such a statement? Who gives you the authority to do this? They know that as Jesus makes this statement, he is claiming to be God. So the question becomes, by what authority do you make this claim? It's like if a person knocks on your door and you, you crack it open and they say, I need to come into your house and I need to look around. You'd say, by what authority? And then if they produce a badge and a search warrant, it's like, oh, you do have the authority to do this. It's the whole issue's authority. So they basically say to Jesus, you're bearing testimony about yourself. Therefore, it's not valid. You can't just stand up and make this proclamation and say, because I said so. So Jesus responds to them. Verse 14, Jesus says basically, I know where my mission originated. I know that I've come from God. I know that I'm going back to God. You don't know this because, he says, you're only looking at the externals. You're only looking at the outward. You're not thinking about the meaning of these things. You're not thinking about the meaning of the signs. You're not thinking about the meaning of the miracles. You are caught up on outward appearance so that when the religious leaders look at Jesus, they only see a carpenter's son from Nazareth, and everybody knows nothing good comes from Nazareth. How in the world could he be the Messiah? So Jesus says, you don't see beyond the surface because you don't want to. He says, you don't believe. And oh, by the way, Jesus says there are two witnesses. I testify about myself and so does the Father. That's why in each of the Gospels we are reminded that audibly God the Father says, Behold, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So Jesus says, if you want proof of authority, I give you two witnesses. I give you my testimony and I give you the Father's witness in verse 18. But Jesus is clear. They don't believe him because they don't know God and they refuse to believe. They refuse to believe this statement. Now, as I said a moment ago, they don't argue about what it meant. The meaning of it was very clear to them. This is the second I am statement that Jesus makes in the Gospel of John. The I am statement is one that carries great theological weight. John chapter 6, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Here he says, I am the light of the world. You will make five more such statements throughout this gospel. Each one is a claim to be divine. 
It is an echo from what God said to Moses in Exodus chapter 3 when Moses says, Whom shall I tell them sent me? And God says to him, You tell them I am sent me. So when Jesus makes this statement, this definitive statement, I am, he is saying that I am Yahweh. He is saying that he is God. But even beyond that, the words that Jesus says about being the light of the world take on added significance and meaning when we recognize the context in which he says them. Chapter 8 is continuing Jesus' teaching during the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, chapter 7 and chapter 8 carry on his activity in this incredible feast. And I say incredible because the more I read about the Feast of Tabernacles, the more I'm led to believe that it was akin to a religious Bonnaroo festival. It's like this huge celebration and party, all centered around Yahweh. This is why I say that. I've already mentioned one thing that would take place every day, the water ritual. Where they would celebrate how God gave water from the rock to supply the needs of Israel in the wilderness. The whole festival celebrated the Exodus. So every day there's this parade as they remember that God gave water from the rock. But what Jesus says here takes place in the context of another ritual that was done not every day, but every night. It's called the ritual of lights. Every day during this seven-day festival at sundown, priests would descend from the steps of the temple. They would come down carrying these torches And there would be trumpets, there would be choirs singing, there would be crowds gathered, and they would begin singing together, and the priests would come down and light these candles that were located in the the, uh, courtyard of the Gentiles, in the courtyard of the women. And when they would light the candles, this celebration would begin as they celebrated God's deliverance in the Exodus. And they would celebrate all night long. There would be singing, there would be dancing, There'd be all of this going on. Why? Because they're celebrating God delivered us. Which, by the way, I couldn't help but think, man, wouldn't that be incredible if we come to worship and singing and dancing just breaks out because God saved us? We should celebrate. And they would do this all through the night until sunrise. And the the festival of lights for that night would end when the priest would come down the steps again. This time they would turn back toward the temple and they would say, Our forefathers turned their back on Yahweh, but we will keep our eyes focused upon Yahweh. And in the midst of this, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And in doing so, he is saying that he is the deliverer. Light was connected with the exodus. Because think, first of all, even in the burning bush, burning fire, light. How did God lead them when they were in the wilderness? A cloud by day, and it wasn't just some big puffy white cloud. It's believed to have been His Shekinah glory. A luminous reminder of His physical presence with His people that glowed and led them at night. How did He lead them? By a pillar of fire. Light radiating every way. Think about the symbol of light in the Old Testament. What does it say in the ironic blessing? May the Lord cause His face to what? Shine upon you. So when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, he is saying that just as Yahweh delivered Israel, I am Yahweh here to deliver the world from its sins. 
Everything that life meant in the Exodus is fulfilled in Jesus. One of the things light symbolizes is revelation. God reveals himself. Light exposes. Think about it. You go to the dentist. The dentist wants to see what's in your mouth. He pulls down this huge light. Light shows. It reveals. This idea of light is that God reveals himself. Shows us who he is. And that's humbling. And this is why. You and I don't figure God out. We don't. We're not smart enough to put the pieces together to say, look, I've discovered, I've figured out who God is. We don't discover God. God shows us Himself in an act of His grace. I was reminded of this in a story I heard. We're finishing up Shark Week. If you follow Discovery in any way, Shark Week is one of those high moments of the summer every year that you need to watch just before going to the beach. I was reminded of a story I heard several shark weeks years ago. A 12-year-old boy that was swimming off the coast of Northern California. As he's swimming, a great white grabs him, pulls him under. Now, he survived many stitches, but he survived, and he's telling his story. And he's excited. He's 12 years old. He's talking about how this shark grabbed me and pulled me under, but I was fighting, and I was hitting, and I hit it hard enough, it finally let me go. And then they went to a shark expert who kind of smiled and said think about it for a moment you have a animal that weighs 2,000 pounds with enough bite force to crush steel you have a 12 year old boy who weighs 90 pounds that boy did not make that shark do anything it let go of him and all of this analogy is horrible I couldn't help but think we don't make God do anything God is God and He is gracious and He reveals Himself. He lets us know who He is and He says, this is who I am. And that's why the words of Jesus here remind us that if we want to know God more truth, truly, we want to know God more fully, we must look at Christ because this is Jesus who said, whatever you see me do, you see the Father do. This is Jesus who said, whatever I say, I don't say of my own accord, I say it because the Father. If you want to know God, we must know Jesus for there is no other way. He is the light that reveals. God and in doing so as he reveals God he also reveals our sin just as a black light reveals bacteria the eye cannot see so Jesus reveals the sins that we like to keep hidden and no one know about but here is the good news light not only reveals God and our sin light shows that Jesus saves I know that's become almost an evangelical cliche that the meaning of it is lost. But hear me clearly. Jesus saves. We'll never get away from that basic truth. In the Old Testament, they would sing praise to Yahweh. Psalm 27.1 The Lord is my light and my salvation. Light and salvation married, bringing together. You see, there is something within us that associates darkness with fear, destruction. We can't see. We don't know what's out there. We're fearful. But when the light shines, we are saved from what dangers may be there. Paul uses this imagery when he describes the work of Jesus in atonement. When he says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. 
and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. I want you to think for this a moment. Do you know in the scripture the judgment of God, the day of God, is described as a day of darkness? When Jesus spoke about the judgment of God in hell, he said what? It is reserved for those who will be cast out into outer darkness. In the book of Zephaniah describing the day of God's judgment, it says a day of wrath is that day, a day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. So the question is this, who can save us from that darkness? Who can save us from the judgment of God? And it is none other than Jesus who is the light of the world. That is our hope in the face of a holy God is that Jesus saves us from God's wrath because He took God's wrath upon the cross. So we look to the light for our salvation. Our situation is much like a person who would be caught out at the sea in a capsized boat floating in the darkness knowing they cannot save themselves. They are at the whim and mercies of the currents and the tides and whatever things lurk below. And then as they are about to give in to despair, they look on the horizon and they see a light. What happens when they see the light in that darkness? There is a rejoicing. There is salvation. And then the light comes closer and closer and you recognize that it is the spotlight of a Coast Guard helicopter that has come to save you. And now where there was despair, there is hope. Where there was a sense of hope Hopelessness. Now there is hope. Such it is with Jesus who is the light of the world. And he entered this world to save us from the darkness of sin and God's wrath. Now it's, it gets even better than that. Not only does the light of the world reveal who God is in our sin. Not only is the light of the world about salvation. It's about guidance. God led Israel by light. They followed the light and God led them to the promised land. Look at the promise Jesus gives in verse 12. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. That language is intentional. Notice he doesn't say whoever abides in the light. Whoever possesses the light. He said whoever follows. It's Exodus language. They followed the pillar of fire. You follow Jesus. He is the light. Think about all the things that can happen. Have you ever tried to make your way to the kitchen at night and stubbed your toe on a wall that wasn't there when you went to bed? Things that you step on that you don't see in the darkness? Somebody once said, what's your favorite light in the house? It's the light that is where I'm standing in the dark. That's my favorite light. The second is the light in the refrigerator, but that's a whole different issue. It's the light that illuminates the darkness. That shows me the pitfalls. That shows me the dangers. When you shine the light on the path ahead of you, you need not fear what you may step in. I finished a book I'd mentioned to you before about the Korean War. It's called On Desperate Ground. About one of the early battles in the Korean War where the Marines had forced their way into North Korea and the Chinese army came to meet them at the Chosen Reservoir. Many, many stories of heroic action are entailed in that book. One that grabbed me and was pertinent to this is the story of Fox Company. They were surrounded at Tectong Pass. The Chinese army was around them. The Chinese army controlled the pass and was about to destroy Fox Company. 
The Marines would not have this. So they decided to send in a group to get Fox Company out there to retake the pass. But here was the problem. The Chinese army controlled the road. Any venture down that road would result in certain deaths. So this was the only option. A company would make a 10-mile hike over three ridges in sub-zero weather, walking single file at night through enemy territory. Piece of cake, right? Since they were in enemy territory at night, no light. There was no way they could even check a magnet to be sure, that, a compass, that they were walking on the right path. So this is what the Army or the Marines decided to do. At regular intervals, they would lob up what was called star shells that would go toward their destination. And as long as they moved toward the light, they knew they were in the right direction. The amazing thing is the plan succeeded. Hundreds of soldiers, single file at night, got to their destination and won the victory because they followed the light. Church, whoever follows Jesus will not walk in darkness. You'll be guided away from darkness. And the question comes, how many of our issues, the things that we struggle with, are due to the fact we don't follow the light? How many problems can be traced back to our own decisions to act contrary to God's Word? How many relationship problems have their root in unforgiveness, anger? How many problems have the root in lies? The truth is, often we can trace the problem back to our own sinfulness. But it doesn't have to be that way. God has promised to guide us in Christ. Think about Psalm 119. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a what unto my path? Light. Jesus is saying, follow him. You won't walk in darkness. And notice the scope of this. He says, I'm the light of the world. It's not for just the Jewish people or, or just a select group. This is the light for all who would believe. This is one of the themes that emerges when the Gospels talk about Jesus' birth. Upon the screen, for example, you'll see Matthew chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, talking about this light that has come, talking about Jesus early in his ministry. Jesus is preaching in the area of Galilee and he says, So that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And here is Jesus, I am the light of the world. And for those dwelling in the region in the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. What incredible language telling us about the promises of Jesus who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is saying, I am the light. In fact, he says this here. You will not walk in darkness, but you will have the light of life. That's the life-giving light. You know why that's incredible good news? Because every one of us dwell in the shadow of death. Now, I know this is not a feel-good statement, but the truth is... We're all walking in that valley. Life is brief. And we can deny it, but it's still there. We can refuse to talk about it, but that doesn't take the reality away. 
And it is only through Jesus that we can face this life without the fear of death. That's why the words of the Apostle Paul resonate in Jesus when Paul wrote, Oh grave, where is your victory? Oh death, where is your sting? The sting of, the, of sin is the law and the power of the law has been broken. Why? In Christ. The power of sin is gone and no fear of death. That's why Jesus makes this incredible promise. You will have the light that gives life. Biologically, life is impossible without light. Spiritually, Life is impossible without light. Jesus is that light. And the question that the Pharisees have may come to you. How can I believe this? I would ask you to look at the testimony. The testimony of the scripture. The testimony of history. Pray you'll come to believe He is the light of the world, and whoever follows Him will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Do you have that light today? I want to ask you to bow your heads with me.